0: chapter 3 of the house of love this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the house of love by elizabeth cheney chapter 3 the stroke of the lash it was grandma lane who awoke her the next morning from a dreamless sleep and for a moment doris could not remember what had happened the day before she felt lame and strange and a little afraid there in the chill, gray dimness. I'm going down, said Mrs. Lane, for I always make the coffee. Everybody in this house cept really has their own work to do. I let you lie as long as I could, knowing you was clean tuckered out. Oh, thank you, said Doris. I'll be right along. As she dressed, she recalled the ordeal of the day before. It had been a thorny path but the thorn that had pierced the deepest had been the new knowledge of her absolute physical ugliness. It had been brought to her attention for the first time. Her mother had never referred to her looks except in enforcing lessons of personal neatness, and since her death no one had spoken of the subject until Mrs. Wilde's unfeeling remarks and Aurelia's radiant hair and skin had brought out the fact of, as she thought, her own unloveliness. She caught up the candle and took a hasty glance into the cheap, rippling mirror, which distorted her features into elfin grotesqueness. How can anybody love me, she queried sadly, then hurried with fast-beating heart down the narrow back stairway to the kitchen. Oh, here you are, are you? said Mrs. Wilde, setting down a dish of cold-boiled potatoes and looking darkly at the kitchen clock. Thaddeus was just slamming the back door and muttering sullenly. Mrs. Wilde proceeded irritably. Relia has her breakfast in bed these cold mornings, and you can carry it up when I get it ready. But first set the big table and chop these potatoes, and then later go in the sitting room and tidy it up from last night. Pull up the shades, pick up the books and papers, brush up the ashes that the man spilled when he took them up, wash the zinc, dust everything, and be quick about it. A little later, when Doris drew up the shades, she saw for the first time in her life the unsullied glory of a country morning after a heavy snowstorm. She caught her breath at the wonder of it. There was no house in sight and fields and fences, woods and hills were softly white and beginning to gleam in the first rays of the sun. She stood transfixed and awed before the great pure silence of the landscape. There you be, said Mrs. Wilde, glancing in at the door. I knew you wouldn't work unless you were watched every minute. Oh, said Doris, flushing hotly. Please, I never saw anything like this before. I couldn't help looking at it. Kelsey Starr had come in to warm some chicken feed on the big stove in the kitchen he had noticed the face of Doris just before Mrs. Wilde spoke to her, and there was a light on it that startled him. An hour or two later, when he was sawing wood in the lean-to adjoining the kitchen, Doris, who had been sent out there after the scrubbing pail and brush, saw him with a piece of writing paper pinned up on a beam beside him. I'm glad you like the snow, he said hurriedly. I'm learning what one of our greatest men said about it. Want to hear it? I'm afraid I mustn't stop, said Doris, nervously, looking toward the door. I'm most afraid to breathe. I heard her go upstairs just now, said Kelsey. Listen. Then he recited Emerson's superb lines. Oh, isn't that splendid, said Doris, with eyes aglow. I don't quite understand it all, but I would love to learn it. Well, you may, said Kelsey, cordially taking down the paper. I'll give you a pencil and a little blank book, and you can copy it. "'and give this paper back to me. "'Write all the new words in the back of the book "'and learn to spell them. "'You can say them over and over while you are working, "'and it keeps one from getting blue in this blasted place.' "'Doris hurried back into the kitchen "'just before Mrs. Wilde clattered down the stairs. "'Relia's tray had been already set without a mishap, "'and soon it was ready to be carried up to the southwest chamber, "'where she sat up in bed like a young princess.' with a dainty blue shawl around her shoulders. To Doris, who had breakfasted with the family on hash and had felt grateful for enough of it, Aurelia's dainty repast was a picture, with its delicately poached egg, light brown buttered toast, and cup of cocoa with whipped cream. Aurelia gave one glance at the tray. Take it away, she cried. There isn't anything I like. But, interposed Doris. Take it away this minute, screamed Aurelia, turning the plate of toast upside down on the tray and thereby hitting the cocoa so that it spilled over onto the pretty cloth. Tell my mother I want an omelette, bananas and cream, hot muffins, and coffee. Doris made her way down to the kitchen with the despised breakfast. Mrs. Wild stood molding bread for the last rising. She sent it back, said Doris, setting down the tray. Can't you carry anything upstairs without upsetting and slopping, said Mrs. Wild. Of course the child couldn't eat any such looking mess as that. She's very particular. It looked very nice, replied Doris, when Aurelia first saw it. Miss Aurelia, corrected Mrs. Wilde loftily. Servants should be respectful to their superiors. Just then, Aurelia's voice was heard through the hole in the sitting room ceiling that admitted warm air to her bedroom. She demanded breakfast. She wants something different, said Doris, repeating the items that Aurelia had specified. Well, said Mrs. Wilde, since you spoiled her breakfast and I have to do it over again, I might as well make one thing as another, only she can't have muffins at this time in the morning. As for you, Doris Avery, you will have no dessert this noon. In less than half an hour, the tray went again upstairs. Aurelia grumbled over the lack of muffins, but made Doris sit on the bed while she ate. I wonder how many freckles you have, she said. Let's both guess, and then count them, and the one that's nearest right will get something. If it's me, you can give me that little blue ring on your finger, and if it's you, I'll give you one of the candies out of my box. Not a pink one nor a chocolate, but a little white one. Doris, called Mrs. Wilde from below, like an irate foghorn. Don't you go, said Aurelia. She got you for me, and I want you. But Doris ran downstairs, glad to escape the torture of Aurelia's cruel eyes and tongue. Hurry and peel these apples for my pies, said Mrs. Wilde. Doris had stopped for a second in the frosty front hall, and had taken one quick look at the first line of the poem, announced by all the trumpets of the sky. As she peeled the apples, she said the words over and over instead of brooding over her hardships. The lines put her in touch with the great radiant harmony outside. Now, said Mrs. Wilde, when the last apple was sliced, it's high time that my daughter got up. The sitting room's as warm as toast. I'll get Kelsey Starr to bring down the doll's house and she'll have enough to amuse her until dark. Now go and dress her. Put on the garnet cashmere. I've laid it out on the chair and the hair ribbons to match. Mar, just you wash them potatoes. Doris returned to Aurelia with a sinking heart. That young person did not wish to wear the garnet cashmere, but a light blue one and sent Doris down with the information. I don't know why you should want to set that child against the red dress. "'said Mrs. Wilde. "'You needn't expect to get it for yourself. "'You'd look like a fright in it. "'Tell Relia to put it on "'or stay in bed with no dinner.' "'On the way back, "'Doris met Kelsey in the sitting room, "'carefully setting down the doll's house. "'She paused involuntarily, "'and her heart leaped. "'She had seen such at Christmastide "'in the city shop windows, "'but none so large and complete as this. "'The rooms were daintily papered, "'and the windows, real glass windows, veiled by lace curtains. There was a parlor in light blue with exquisite china chairs, a sofa, and an upright piano. There were a bedroom in pink, a dining room in green, and a kitchen with stove and shelves and rows of shining tins. There was a hall with stairs and a cushioned seat. There were framed pictures on the walls, a clock in the dining room, and a gilt birdcage hanging from a hook. There were a gentleman and a lady in the parlor, and a lovely little baby in a white crib in the nursery. Doris stood staring at the marvel with wide, glistening eyes. Oh, to be able to touch those beautiful things! Kelsey rose, straightened himself, and saw the look. Pretty nice, isn't it? he said in a low tone. Too nice for that little fiend upstairs. Doris could not speak. Here's the book and pencil I promised you, went on Kelsey, pulling a little blank book out of his pocket and a nicely sharpened red lead pencil. "'Thank you so much,' said Doris, brightening. "'I learned the first line peeling apples, "'and I can spell announced, too.'" She rushed up to her own room and hid the book in the washstand drawer, sighing at the glimpse of her face in the old glass, and then carried Mrs. Wilde's message to Aurelia, while she wondered with quickening heartbeats if she would ever play with that wonderful doll's house. "'Come,' she said cheerfully. "'Your mother says you must wear the red dress. "'I think it's a beauty on this snowy day. "'It is as pleasant as a fire. "'Well, I won't wear it,' declared Aurelia. "'I want the blue one. "'But your mother said that you must either wear the red one "'or stay in bed and have no dinner. "'What is there for dinner?' "'Corned beef and cabbage and potatoes and apple pie,' replied Doris. "'I saw your mother baking a dear little turnover, too.' "'I love hot apple turnovers,' meditated Aurelia. "'But I won't wear the red dress. Bring it to me.' Doris took the soft, pretty cashmere to the bed. Aurelia lighted a candle that stood on a stand nearby, and when it began to melt, blew it out and rubbed the hot tallow up and down the front breadth of the skirt until it was decorated with an array of grease spots. "'Go tell Mother I can't wear the dress,' said Aurelia. "'It ain't fit to be seen.' And if you tell her what I did, you'll be sorry, freckle-face. Doris went again downstairs. Her eyes were full of tears. I think you had better go up, she said. She doesn't want to wear the red dress. Goodness sakes alive, exclaimed Mrs. Wilde, who was finding the rearing of an aristocrat a wearing process. But she went up to Aurelia, who said that something had happened to her dress, and she could not wear it. It was not neat, and she knew that her mother wished her always to be neat. Mrs. Wilde surveyed the grease spots, touched them, and smelled of them with a puzzled air. Aurelia Wilde, said she, this is fresh grease. How did it come there? I don't want to tattle on Doris, Mother, but she said she wanted to light the candle. It is such fun to see the drops run down the sides, and I knew you wouldn't want her to waste it, and told her so, but she would light it. The dress lay right here on the bed, and I tried to get the candle away from her, and it dripped. I didn't want to tell on her, though. Mrs. Wilde was white with anger. She went to the closet, took down the blue cashmere, and threw it across the footboard, then hurried to the head of the kitchen stairs. Doris Avery! she shouted hoarsely. Doris opened the door at the foot of the narrow flight. Get that horsewhip in the corner behind the wood box and come right up here to me! Doris, innocent of any wrongdoing, turned to get the whip. Kelsey Starr was filling the wood box as she took it from its place. He had heard the wrath in Mrs. Wilde's voice, and as Doris left the room, he said to Grandma Lane, who was setting the dinner table, Do you suppose Doris is going to get a whipping? Lor no, replied Grandma. She ain't done nothing. A real peaceable, quiet little thing. But Kelsey went to the foot of the stairs and listened. He heard Mrs. Wilde's voice raised in anger, then a murmur of piteous surprise from Doris and after a moment's silence, the swift cut of the lash and one smothered heart-rending cry. Kelsey rushed upstairs three steps at a time. His face was as white as Mrs. Wild's, and his eyes were wide open and blazing as he bounded into Aurelia's room. Doris had gone down on her knees, her face buried in her hands, and across her thin little shoulders was a cruel, bright red streak. Aurelia sat in the bed with fiendish glee on her features. Stop! cried Kelsey, seizing the whip from Mrs. Wilde's upraised hand. How dare you, she ejaculated. How dare you, he questioned fiercely. Much as Mrs. Wilde disliked Kelsey, she was afraid of him. The editor of the Kent Weekly was an old friend of his dead father, and the Episcopal rector was his Latin teacher. You'd best mind your own business, she said savagely. So I am doing, he replied, withdrawing with the whip from the room. Doris rose trembling to her feet. Mrs. Wilde, she said simply, I told you the truth. I did not touch the candle nor soil the dress. She did, she did, she did, shouted Aurelia. Freckle face, freckle face, homeliest girl in all the place. Doris was fastening her dress as best she could. Her shoulders smarted keenly. I'd send you to bed, said Mrs. Wilde, but it would be too easy and comfortable. Help Aurelia with her clothes and button her shoes. You can have nothing but bread for dinner, and after you've done all the dishes and scoured the knives and tins, scalded the dish towels, blacked the stove, and wiped up the oilcloth, you can try to get the grease out of that dress with benzene. Then she went downstairs. Aurelia. Miss Aurelia, said that lovable person, drawing herself up haughtily. But Doris ignored the correction. How could you tell such a story? I wanted to wear the blue dress, and I'm going to. I hate you, little beggar girl. A black wave of resentment swept through the soul of Doris that frightened her at herself. No such feeling had ever found its way into her consciousness. Whatever she says or does, thought she, I mustn't hate back if I live in the house of love. It isn't Mrs. Wilde's house, it's the Lord's house, and if I hate, I cannot belong to it. I cannot even stay on the piazza all that weary afternoon as Doris, deprived of the savory dinner, washed and scrubbed and toiled alone. Grandma Lane, having been set at darning stockings, she was wrestling with a sense of anger and bitterness. It's the Lord's house, but I'm not in it, she was saying to herself. I'm way down by the front gate, most outside the fence. I'm afraid, for I don't love Mrs. Wilde or Relia one bit. I'd like to run away, but I can't, for the snow is so deep, and it is so far to Kent, and nobody knows me there. Nobody knows me anywhere, or cares at all. Her tears dropped into the scrub pail. I never had such dreadful feelings in my heart before. It's worse than the whip. I'd like Relia to have smallpox and spoil her pink skin, and for Mrs. Wilde to break her leg and lose every bit of hair on her head, so it would be all bald and shiny, and make them both eat nothing but potato peelings for days and days. Oh, Lord, I'm too wicked to speak to you ever any more. I sort of like to hate, hate, hate them both. She plied her brush with an energy that threatened the pattern of the oilcloth. Then an inner voice made itself heard amid the tumult, like a song without words, as if someone offered to help her. Dear Lord, she whispered, please take this hard black hate out of my heart. I don't want it. I don't want it. Truly, I don't. Then she was conscious of the same gentle, comforting glow that she had experienced the night before, as if she were drawn against a great, warm heart and held close. God's little girl. She could hear her mother's soft tone. She knew she must forgive. She wanted to forgive. And in a little while, the darkness had vanished. I forgive Mrs. Wilde and Aurelia, she said, under her breath, with a deep sense of relief and peace. Just then, Mrs. Wilde came into the kitchen. Some strange influence must have touched her heart, perhaps the sight of the little orphan so utterly alone and in her power, bending to the hard task and doing it so well. For she said to her own surprise, coldly but not tartly, You may go into the pantry now and get yourself a glass of milk and a piece of pie. There's just one piece left. That night, when the long, wearisome day was done, and she had crept into her cot bed. "'Doris heard Grandma Lane come softly into the bare little room "'and felt her sit down on the edge of the bed in the dark. "'Child,' she said, did really spoil her dress herself. "'Please, Mrs. Lane, don't make me tell,' said Doris. "'Doris,' said the wavering old voice, "'really ain't much comfort to me. "'Will you be my little grandchild and call me Grandma "'when there ain't nobody around and love me just a little? "'I do want a little love.' "'Doris raised herself from the pillow "'and put both arms around the old lady's neck "'and kissed her cheek. "'I never had a grandma,' she said, "'and I'm so glad to adopt you.' "'So Grandma Lane talked her in "'and kissed her good night, "'and Doris lay awake quite a while "'for the kind, gentle touch "'and the kiss brought vividly before her "'the bare room in the distant city "'and a face thin and white but very beautiful, "'brought into relief by the heap "'of dull blue material in the lap Against which the gold of the wedding ring gleamed as a pair of delicate ever busy hands plied a needle from morning until night. Doris hated the needle and the blue stuff that kept her so often from the arms where she would have loved to nestle, but the mother would smile and say, Bread and fire and bed, my darling. Now whom shall we have to afternoon tea? Doris often chose Joan of Arc because it was so interesting to peer down into the street for the first white horse that would come along. Joan would hardly have recognized her snowy charger in the dingy nag harnessed to some ash cart or vendor's wagon. But when Joan had climbed the stairs and knocked at the door, and Doris had opened it in the very best style, then the mother would turn into Joan and tell about the dear, dreamy old garden in Domremy, and the voices, the boy prince, the terrible war, and the banner with the lilies. When they were quite sure that Queen Elizabeth would not come, they would ask Mary Stuart, Doris liked her best of all, with her pretty hair and velvet gown and pearls. Doris's mother had once been in Edinburgh, and knew the old castle on the hill, and fascinating Holyrood too, with its stone floors, secret stairs, and ruined chapel. Doris recalled the sunsets that they saw together far away over the roofs of the houses, beyond the river and the range of hills. The view made a large room of their little one. The gold of her mother's hair, the grey of her deep eyes— The sound of her voice all came back so vividly to Doris, that again the smothering, despairing, desolating ache that was like an iron hand at her heart came with them. Again she took refuge in the shepherd's psalm and knew that the house of love held both her mother and herself. They were together still. She is just upstairs, said Doris to herself. It's the very same house, the very same house. And she fell asleep. End of chapter 3